Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 8. Uh, those of you with really good memories know I've been in Mark for a while now. I continue to be there. And uh, I, I know I have another invitation here. So, you know, like I said one time before, this is an invitation or a warning. The next time I'm here, you're going to hear the second part of this morning's uh, sermon. We're in the season of Epiphany. That is the season of revealing. And the next time I'm here, we'll be very close to or in the season of Lent. And I'm going to basically focus on a good part of the same chunk of Mark. We're going to start reading in Mark chapter 8, 22 to 26. And then we'll look at the rest a little bit later. But we'll start with 22 to 26. The word of the Lord. They came to... Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, and sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't go into the village. Beloved, whether you are a first-time reader of the book of Mark, or if you've been through it many, many times, when you get to this scripture, you can't help but stop. This is really unlike anything else you'll read in the whole Bible. They're up in Bethsaida. Bethsaida was home to Peter and Andrew and to Philip. It was right on the northern edge of the lake, of the Sea of Galilee. Unlike Capernaum, which was sort of surrounded by a solid Jewish community, Bethsaida was right up against the Decapolis and lots of Gentile influence there. I wonder when I read this story if the three disciples, Peter, Andrew, and Philip, knew the man who was blind. These villages weren't big, and they they didn't travel very far. And that's if you were healthy. If you weren't, you probably didn't travel at all. Jesus did so many wondrous miracles. So many had been healed. What happened at Bethsaida? Well, in the neighborhood, 5,000 people were fed. He had a reputation. Jesus comes up to the man. The man asks for healing. Jesus begins. But he doesn't get it right the first time. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, it's right there, right? We all heard it. And Mark is doing that on purpose. Mark wants us to stop here. And I will go as far as to say, if you don't understand this little piece of the book, the whole rest will not ever become clear to you. 
That's how important this is. It's not like the other miracles in which Jesus revealed himself. He had fed thousands. He brought people back to life. Mark wants us to stop and he wants us to think about the difference between seeing dimly and seeing clearly. I don't think this is two miracles. Maybe one miracle in two parts, I don't know. But Mark wants us to stop here, and he's doing it on purpose because it's very important that you see things clearly as you move forward. The man whose eyes were opened did see people. He saw them right away. But they looked like trees. They were undefined, unclear. It made him doubt what his eyes were telling him. When Jesus made the second application, his eyes were opened and he sees clearly. And his doubts were gone. He could trust what he saw. His eyes were open. Seeing Jesus the miracle worker does not mean that you see the Christ. We keep reading just a short section here, 27 through the end of 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. We see Jesus and the disciples, now they're traveling, they're going even farther north pushing up against what today would be the Lebanese border, northern Israel, moving from village to village, preaching and teaching. No doubt other miracles were performed. And then Jesus asked a question. Let me say it this way. Who do the people see when they see me? The disciples answered, Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, John the Baptist, or another new prophet. And after listening, Jesus asked, now okay, you tell me. You who have been with me for 24-7, for the last, what, two and a half years? who've seen me perform miracles, who've heard me teach. Who do you see? Who do you see? It's very important. Who do you see when you see Jesus? Peter responds, You are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. It's an almost standard answer for Jesus. Don't tell anyone. Don't go into the village 
Don't tell anyone. Be sort of secretive about what I've done to you. Don't tell anyone yet that I am the Christ. You see, the disciples had authority already themselves by this point. Right? If you know the Gospels well, you know there is a point when the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest, who was the most important. They had gone around themselves. They had healed people. They had proclaimed the Gospel. So, it was important. Their word was important. Jesus says, don't you guys go around telling people I'm the Christ. I don't want it. Not yet. I don't need it. And we're going to find out why as we go on. You see, Jesus knew that many people saw him dimly. And that's true. Sometimes I'm amazed at what I hear. Jesus wants me to have my own private plane so that I can fly around the United States and do His work. There are mega preachers that have mansions with 36, 40 rooms. They have their own private airplanes. And they say, this is the will of the Lord. I don't know. They're good preachers. Do they see Him clearly? I don't know. It's always a struggle. We hear people who say, Jesus this, Jesus that. Jesus is on our side. Right? A year ago, they said, well, of course, Jesus understands trans people because he was the first person who looked one way but was really someone else. And then recently, of course, he's used because I just saw online that Jesus was a Palestinian who was killed by the Jews. Jesus, people see him all over, but they don't necessarily see him clearly. And he knew that. And he knew that of the disciples, see, because he knew them better than they knew himself. He knew where they were headed. He knew that Peter would, be the, would have the words of denial. He knew that G- Judas would never see him right. He knew all the disciples would run away. <coughs> <coughs> Most people wanted a warrior king. They were tired of being overtaxed. They were tired of foreign people telling them what to do. They wanted to be masters in their own house. They wanted a king. They wanted someone to give the Romans the royal boot. They didn't understand that Jesus was not about that. Jesus wasn't about earthly power. I'm studied church history through the history of the church I wonder where did these people think that the Bible supported state churches international churches with their own armies it's tough I don't know where they get it from but they did for centuries even in Canada my wife used to work for the banks I won't tell you which one but she worked for the banks and they found an old thing in the 1930s. You couldn't work for that particular bank unless you had a letter from your pastor that said you went to church every Sunday. They didn't really care if you were a believer. You just had to look right. Where did the churches get that kind of power? Where do they think that Jesus told them, that's the kind of power I want you to have? Earthly power. I've been in cathedrals 
And I keep on telling myself these cathedrals are symbols of people's devotion. I tell you, but I look up at the ceilings and I look at the floors and I figure, man, you could have fed millions. Where did the church get the idea that God wanted that kind of temple? He didn't want the first temple. Jesus came and it wasn't about earthly power, it wasn't about earthly wealth, and it definitely wasn't about earthly prestige. Jesus was about redeeming. Redeeming people. Redeeming people from all the negative influences that separated them from Almighty God, from their Creator. And in redeeming them, so prepare them. Lord, prepare me. Prepare them for life eternal. Right? You know, I don't know if you know that song. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Lord, prepare me. It's a great little song. That's what Jesus came for. To prepare our hearts. We're going to read now from 31 until the end of 28. All right? Remember, Jesus had just been declared the Christ. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must take up, sorry, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus begins... To open their eyes. He knew they weren't seeing clearly. And so he now begins to teach them again to open their eyes so they may see what the Christ is. In terms of epiphany, he reveals himself. He reveals what he's about. Jesus begins to help the twelve see clearly. The Christ was not about to gain earthly power and might. So if that's what you're looking for, you're in the wrong place. Jesus would not be using his power to conquer. That's what the devil tried. He tried that ploy too, remember, in the wilderness? Right? 
say the word and all the heavenly hosts, all the angels will surround you. Rather, he would submit to rejection, to hatred, to suffering, and ultimately to death. He wasn't going to conquer the world in the way of the world. He was going to conquer the world in the way of God. Not just fighting with the devil, with Satan, with the demons, but actually destroying them, making them powerless. And so he spoke very clearly trying to open their eyes with every word he spoke. The picture got horrific. Rejection. Rejection not only by foreigners, but rejection of his own. His own people would reject it. The people who had taught them all what the law of God meant would now turn on him. picture was horrific and Jesus was terribly serious and I can just see Peter probably because I would have been a lot the same I don't want to hear this I don't want to hear this at all stop it and Jesus Peter rebuked him rebuke is one of those English words and I, I've said this a thousand times from the pulpit so I've probably said it here too you know, it's one of those words that's in the Bible that we never use. Rebuke. Well, if I rebuke my son, so, no, it, it, it's, it's akin to telling someone to shut up. To rebuke is to sort of lash out. It's not, please be quiet. It's not just listen. It's not no, no, no. It's a little bit stronger. Peter wanted it to stop. And that's what he told Jesus to do. Stop it. It was going to take Peter a long time before he saw clearly. And Judas never would. Jesus turned to Peter And didn't say, just listen, Peter. Wait, Peter. Be quiet, Peter. Take it easy, Peter. No, he did the same thing back. Shut up. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Strongest words ever. Get behind me, Satan. You're focused on the wrong things. I can't begin to imagine how much those words would have cut into Peter. We all know our weaknesses. We all know, that's why I pray, Lord, hold on to me, because we all know how often we let go. We all know how hard we try. Peter was no different. I'm no different than Peter. Peter was no different than me. He tried. And now to be called this, it must have hurt. 
He had just confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the one that he had spent his whole life waiting for. And now he had to hear this. You see, Jesus is making a point, and Mark is making a point. And I believe, actually, that Mark, of course, never met Jesus. So where did Mark get the stories from? I think Mark got the stories from Peter. One of the reasons being that Mark's gospel, of all the gospels, Mark's, Mark's gospel is hardest on Peter. But the point here is that they weren't seeing clearly yet. They were seeing dimly. They saw the Christ, but they didn't understand what the Christ was about. It's hard when we see the Christ, but we don't understand. Jesus wants us to understand because only, it's only in understanding that we can begin to respond to the last teaching, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to do what Matthew did. Levi, son of Alphaeus, follow me. And he did. Peter had done it too. I will make you fishers of men. Peter fell on his knees. Lord, go away from me because I am an unworthy man. Jesus knows that struggle. He knows what we go through. And still he says, follow me. And that's the challenge. Follow Jesus. Opening your eyes to see who he really is. And that doesn't mean your life is going to get easier. It's going to get harder. The body of Christ is one body. We're all connected. We're one people. Over the Christmas holidays, when I heard a hundred Christians, sorry, were slaughtered in church in Nigeria, I wept. In Egypt, two Christian brothers who couldn't pay the tax the Muslim tax on people of different faiths, they were shot to death. In Nigeria, people are chased out of their churches and slaughtered as they're running away. That's what Jesus taught about. You know, it's serious business. We can be thankful that we haven't got that to deal with. but it is real because the power is real. And everyone has to deal with the power that they live in. I once listened to a man who had escaped from Eastern Europe and he talked about the struggle of the churches there. And he said, our prayer is often that the people of North America and Western Europe may not be lulled into complicity by the ways of the world. See, we didn't think we were struggling, but they did see we were struggling. Jesus at this point, this epiphany, is stressing. See me. Look at me clear and see me and understand me clearly. And if we do, 
then everything else in the rest of the book makes sense and it falls into place. The transfiguration, the arrest, the suffering, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. It all makes sense, but if you don't see Jesus clearly, none of it makes sense. And so today we look at the whole idea of what Jesus is doing. He's revealing himself. And the next time I'm with you, we'll focus on the power that comes from seeing Christ. Amen. Our hymn of response this morning...